Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckables? I like that one. That was a new one. Came to me via email, and I've integrated that in. What the fuckables? How did I miss out on that one? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. You're listening to me in your head right now. I'm in my garage. It's a nice day. I feel a little sick. Not that I want to open with that, but I guess I did. That's behind us now. Today on the show, Paul Gilmartin, uh, who does his own show, his own podcast, The Mental Illness Happy Hour, will be here in the garage uh, early on in his uh, creation of that show, we had a conversation. What other business do we have? I need you to come down to the Colony Theater tonight in South Beach, Miami, 8 o'clock show for the South Beach Comedy Festival. I believe there are still seats available. Check that out, please. Colony Theater walk-ups invited. This isn't desperation. This is just a heads up. I don't know that a lot of people know about that festival, but I'll be there tonight, so do that. And what else? I had a wall built in my house in order to create a full room for the woman, Jessica, who's moving into my apartment. I moved her shit today. So I have a special added guest for you today, too. Obviously, I couldn't move the shit myself, right? Because Jessica was working. She has a noble profession. She was doing her job. And Ryan Singer, uh, who you've met before on my show many times. Ryan, how are you? Doing well, doing well. That's nice. You got a bed out of this. Oh, I got a sweet bed. Yeah. I think it's only been slept on twice. Yeah. (laughs) And I was not, I'm not part of either one of those. <laughs> I don't even know if she, like in the period where we weren't together, maybe another dude was part of that. Well, I can't yeah. think about that. I can't, I, I, you, you can't, I can't either. Yeah. I'll ask her later though. It's a little girly, but it's a nice bed. Yeah. You didn't anticipate you'd be getting the girly frame. <laughs> yeah. We, you, Ryan didn't come over and look at it. And Jessica's like, do you want that bed? And Ryan's like, hell yeah. And then we get over there and it's like this really wrought iron curly cue. It's nice. I mean, oh, it's a lot better than the mattress I've been sleeping on on the the floor. floor. Yeah. See, that's how comics live, like animals, people. And and that's the thing I want to bring up is that there nothing brings out that weird adolescent existential fear than moving your shit, like just moving stuff. You know, with another dude, you're like, oh, this is our life. It's kind of not that big, is it? Did you? uh... Because you're like, I don't think everything's going to fit. I'm like, oh, it's going to fit. Wait, we got. Well, you're sleeping on a king size on the floor. Yeah, it was a. It was probably about ten years old. King size mattress that was just in the room when I moved in. So you didn't even. That's a. That's a beautiful thing. That, see, that's that's how you know a guy is not. It's not about where you live. It's about what you're doing with yeah. your life. That'll work, right? That totally. mattress will work. So Jeff Tate is also here, who you met on my show once or twice. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing all right, man. Now Jeff came in last night to do his first network TV spot, and I and I just pulled him in here because I think it's worth talking about. You flew in to do Ferguson. Yes, sir. Now, how'd you get that? I was in uh, I was I was in Wichita, Kansas. Yeah, uh, working at, at the Looney Bin. Yeah, and uh, Craig Ferguson. Is that did, good club, the Looney Bin. It's all right. I've had some. Uh, I don't. Uh, I like the guy that runs it, but yeah. I've I've had some. Let's say I, not all the sets go well. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I so I fucking ate it in Just Wichita. Being very diplomatic here, they serve like drinks you, called the lobotomy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Just like trying to get gallon. people. They're just trying to get people so drunk. It's just a fishbowl of to fucking liquor. Sadness. <laughs> yeah. Blue. Yeah. You can order it. Like that's how you order. You can order the blue one. Yeah. Or the red one. Right. No one gives a shit what's in it. You just yeah. drink four of them, and then uh, yeah, and then, then you watch me talk for right. a, a little while. And you're probably going to talk too. I think at four of those. Uh, yeah. Whoever's watching the show is going to you know, chime in a little bit. Oh yeah, they're not quiet about it. <laughs> 
All right, so what, how does Ferguson come into this? Ferguson was doing a, a casino or something outside of Wichita, and when, when he got done with his show, him and uh, Ted Alexandro came to the club. They just showed up for the second show. Second show Friday, traditionally, that's the best one, right? Like, that's the one you look forward to. Right. Can't wait for that 10.30 sure. Friday. Yeah, no. Are you being serious? No. I, no, it's I never. It's always bad. <laughs> yeah, they've worked all day, and they've been drinking before they got to the club, and now they're drinking a bowl of blue liquid. Yeah. It's yeah. always bad. There's 22 people there. Two yeah. of them were Craig Ferguson and Ted Alexandro. Right. And I, I just want to do... Like I, I try to, I, I just try to ignore the fact that they showed up, right? Right. Like I've, I've worked with Ted before. I wanted, I didn't want him to think I got shitty, right? But I was, it was going to be hard enough to just make the get through with the twenty people who had just showed up for whatever reason, right. drinking the fishbowl. So I just did. I just tried to do my set, and uh, then they left. They left, be- like before, before I got off. Say, like when I said goodnight, they were walking out the door. And, uh, Did they say anything? That's always a good sign. Like, no, you know, Ted, Ted waited for me to come off stage to say goodbye, but uh, Craig was already out in the car. And then the next day I get back to the club and uh, he had called the club to find out how to get a hold of me. That never happens anymore. What are the fucking odds? Craig Ferguson's in Kansas, right? Yeah, Kansas. <laughs> and he just drops by and you and you booked a show from that. Yeah, five days later, the guy who books the show called me and, and set up a date. We had a date locked in before, uh, before we had a set. Like he just he calls he goes he's like Can, what which one of these dates do you want and so I picked the last one yeah I was like I don't I'm not coming next week <laughs> give me give me give me three weeks to come up with something yeah. and he's like all right well you're down for the 28th yeah uh, and I was like well what about the what about the set and he's like oh you have three weeks you'll be fine and did you go over set with him <laughs> yeah I did I eventually just sent him a I just sent him a transcript I got I got some help from some guys I know that have done things like this before right and uh, 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 Chad Daniels helped me write the thing and then I, I Chad. I sent it to I sent it to uh, the guy at the show. Yeah. He sent it to the lawyers. Not none of these people, but Craig, have seen me do stand up. Right. He just gets a piece of paper with words on it. Yeah. That, and, and whenever you write a transcript, you're like, oh, none of this it's, shit is it's funny. Not funny at all. This it doesn't is, even read like a joke. <laughs> it seems, it just seems sad now. Yeah. Like, you put, like in parentheses, make face here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, that's what I did at the bottom of the transcript. I put in parentheses. I go, I, I do. It's something about the way I say all of this kind of makes people laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, like these words are, uh, uh, this, is, this looks like a it looks yeah. like a fucking essay right about just just a, a page about me yeah it's from my journal yeah and so okay so now you, they okayed the set right yeah and you flew out here last night yesterday day before yesterday when did you get out here day before yesterday yeah a couple, a couple over, days right because you came over for the Oscars and then um all right, so then you go down there. I gave you some advice. I said, I said, try to shoot the camera a look every once in a while. Did you do that? Yeah, yeah. Well, they told me to. They told me to look just to keep looking straight into the camera. And yeah, I, I don't want to do that. No, you can't. See, it's there's too... people behind them. Yeah, right. So, and I told you that he wasn't going to be there because it's they just dropped these sets in that he'll. What I told you was, you'll get there and he'll end his show and then he'll leave and say something to you and then you go up for an, a room with no host. Yeah. And yeah. what happened? That's exactly what happened. You said, "You said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be standing alone in a hallway. He's going to walk by, say hello, leave. Someone's going to shout your name, and then someone else pushes you out onto the stage. Yeah. And all of that happened. Yeah. It's, there's two minutes where nothing's going on in the room. They're putting the backdrop up. They put the mic stand out. I'm in the hallway by myself. He right. walks by. Hey, it's nice to see you. Don't fuck this up. He leaves. He said, don't fuck this up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm trying. I'm going to okay. try real hard not to. <laughs> then he leaves. It's the weirdest thing. The host just splits. 
And then, then they set this up, and then the guy, whoever the whoever the warm up guy is, just shouted my name. Doesn't say anything. They, I, like I, I didn't hear him say, "Hey, there's a comedian coming right. up." Nobody said anything like that. Right. It's they think the show's over. Right. And they're just waiting to like, like that. Maybe, maybe his car's in front. And they, right. Like, right. Uh, but this guy, this guy's just standing somewhere, and he just shouts my name. And then the guy, then the the guy just pushes me out, and I gotta walk out there. That nobody knows that this is about to happen. Right. But they knew, right? Uh, they, you have to assume, right? Right. They're, they're there. Yeah, it's sitting still. Yeah, they, they've, they've been, been waiting in line since noon. Yeah, they've been sitting in that room for yeah. an hour and they're fifty the, minutes. They're on the the Craig Ferguson ride at the theme park of California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay, so how'd the set go? I I thought it went okay. Yeah, it was not. Uh, it's because it was you know I spent three weeks trying to make it timed out right perfectly mm-hmm. all of that so you're very conscious of uh you know that you yeah, have time i've been doing nothing but that set for fucking three weeks i've done that set like 30 times in a row and you've and never had to do that you've I've never done, in your life no. had to do four and a half minutes that was good i was there i, I mean i was yeah. watching it it was okay. good and he's never done the same set twice in his life in his yeah. life so now you this is like a stepping up to the professionalism plate yeah i'm, so I'm doing my best i'm doing whatever i imagine being a professional comedian it's yeah, yeah. my best impression yeah. of that guy <laughs> maybe you should open like that i'm now going to do an impression of a professional comedian <laughs> that's i yeah i wish i could i guess uh so what i'm going to open all my sets now yeah uh, uh there's a countdown clock and i realize i'm coming in way under Oh really? I yeah, was, I like, was coming in over on one, and I was like, "I'm gonna have to rush this thing." I was, I had gone through it. Like I had run the set eight times since I got to LA or whatever. I'd, uh, it was always timing out at like four ten, four fifteen, or whatever. And right. everybody's like, "Oh, you're you're doing this in a bar. The yeah, TV yeah, crowd's gonna be yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. You'll hit four thirty exactly. Everything will be perfect. Yeah. I'm coming in fucking forty five seconds under. Yeah. So there was a moment where, but like I switched. Like I, I finished one bit, and then I just stood there for like eight seconds. Nothing. And it, yeah, yeah, I was trying to uh, slow it down. I was trying to slow it down, but also I was honest to God, I was trying to just come up with another closer. I was like, "What else can I close on?" Because I'm going to fucking end this at three forty, yeah. and I got another minute. Yeah. Uh, what's next? What are the, what? Are, what's the least likely thing they'll notice wasn't in the transcript? Right. And did you do it? No, no, no. It turns out that ten seconds really uh <laughs> was really all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> The weird gaze, the deer in headlights moment where you, <laughs> give me a second, I got to think of something else. And yeah. that worked. So after you got done with your set, what happened? I, I was like, I like I was, I felt like I, I, my face felt hot. I was like, that wasn't what I fucking wanted to do better than that. Yeah. This is not what I thought it was going to be. But everybody said like late night TV, you got the, it's the, the, the rooms and the cameras and it's all uh, like some, some are great. Some people bomb, whatever, but it, they're, everybody's funny. So it. Like so, then I was like, "Well, maybe this just maybe this is the best late night crowd." Yeah, and I just didn't. I was expecting more or right. whatever. Uh, I, I I get off, and the guy that uh, the guy that put me on the, the talent guy was uh, he's like, "Listen, I thought that was great, but uh, the executive producer loved your set, but he thought the crowd was shitty, so he asked me to. He was like, you, can you come back and do it again tomorrow?'" <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And he goes, "He goes, yeah, I've never heard of this before." <laughs> Like they, they, nobody's it's and like this guy's been working for like ten years or twelve years booking guys on shows and he's and nobody's ever done this. Yeah, it's a, it, 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 there's no precedent for it. Yeah, the, the producer was like, "Love this guy, <laughs> fuck the crowd, let's have him come back tomorrow." Yeah. And you couldn't do that on another show where you know because they drop these in whenever they want. So if it was a self-contained show, they couldn't do it. So it's a weird, uh, it's a weird situation. So now you're going back tonight. Yeah, I got to go back. I got to go back tonight to do the same four and a half minutes. Same four and a half. I added a. I added a, a joke, the 20-second thing, so I'm not going to come in under. So you're not going to take the eight-second pause? No, 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 no. That was not in the... <laughs> and what are you going to do differently? 
What'd you do last night? Oh, I what? got, I just got drunk. Yeah. I was tired of, uh, I like how he says, I just got drunk. Yeah. Like it was just some yeah. small drunk. Yeah. It was a big, big <laughs> it was a big drunk. Yeah. This is the guy driving him around. Yeah. You were the designated. It's like, I was like, tell you guys, it's like trying to corral a greased pig. <laughs> When this guy gets about, because he's got, what's your thing? Four to seven beers? Is I have a four, yeah. I have a four to seven beer window where I'm wildly charming. Yeah. But then he gets to 14 and it's like, where's the fucking pig? <laughs> Couldn't get it? No, we're going to, we're going to listen to Seeger a cappella. We'll go to Mulholland Falls. Oh. No, it's three in the morning. I'm That's all I wanted to do. You wanted to go to Mulholland? I wanted to go, yeah. I want to go to the top of the hills and just look out. Yeah. Like, sure. I, like, I was trying, sure. I thought I was had a very good argument. And my argument was, uh, it's nighttime. That was all I had. But I was like, we should just go. Let's go up. The, we'll go up there. We'll find a place where we can look out over all of LA. We'll get all of the Los Angeles energy. Yeah. We'll sit on the hood. Right. We'll listen to Seeger, yeah. Tom Petty. Yeah. We'll play it loud out of your car windows. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll do that. And Ryan, Ryan was not on board. You denied board. him that? Yeah. Well, I was, ex- I was exhausted. You denied him that? I did deny him that because he, I knew he probably, I, chances, I didn't think he'd remember. So you were, uh, okay, all right. And I well, told him we'd do it tonight. I told him we'd do it tonight after the next So what, how are you going to do it differently tonight? You feel, you, you obviously we know the set better. You know exactly what you're walking into. You're fucking hungover. Yeah. And is that is that better for you? I feel like it is better. It's I, the That impression of a professional comedian I was doing was not, uh, I didn't like it. Yeah. I was real tight. I've been, like, I, I went to, I, would, I did a show last night where I was running the set again. And yeah. then just halfway through the set, I just fucked that set. I yeah. was done. I started yelling about the set. Blew off some steam. Yeah, just it released so yeah. much tension. I just right. wound it up, wound right. myself up doing right. the same goddamn thing over and over. That I just needed to go, like, that's not how I do stand-up. Yeah. I, I do it with a... A hangover. <laughs> so tonight should be fucking awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be perfect. All right, well, break a leg. Uh, thanks for uh, for talking about it because we've never I've never really had this conversation on it. It was a rare. Uh, it was a, it was synchronicity. The story just keeps getting better. I can't wait to hear what happens. Well, you got to take him to Mulholland tonight. We're gonna do it tonight. All right, let yeah. me. Uh, okay, I want, you get, and I I'm, had to move. I had to help you move this morning too. Like, don't early. put this on me because you disappointed <laughs> your friend. <laughs> I'll make it up to you, Jeff. All right. <laughs> Hey, Paul. Mark? Yes, Paul Gilmartin. Mark, Mark Marin? Yes, Paul Gilmartin. How are What's you? Happening? Nothing, man. Well, actually, there's something happening. I, I, you know, it's been a while since we talked, and I just want to make sure. Uh, you know, I know your podcast is going great, and I'm thrilled for your success. But I also know you to be a guy that uh, might let things fester, and I wanted to make sure everything's cool, <laughs> that we're putting the, uh, you know, that the episode is going up now, and, and I don't know if... If uh, you're fine with that, right? Uh, I, I am. Um, there, it's so funny that there are a couple of things actually that have been festering in me since I since I did the the, the, the episode. The, the first one, um, and secretly I've been hoping that you that you don't air it. Um, are you serious? Yes. Um, uh, the first the first thing, and I don't know why I didn't email you this. Um, this first one is, yeah. is I said in it that um, my uh, every male in my family tree is an alcoholic, and that's not fair for for me to say that. Okay. I, I'm much more comfortable uh, saying many males in my family tree 
are are alcoholics. Okay, so um, so let's uh, let let that be noted to people listening yes, that that only that what, what what what's the percentage, like. Uh, I would say eighty percent, maybe. Okay, okay. So, so uh, when you're listening to this uh, conversation I had with Paul, <laughs> frame that in your head that it's not every male. Paul is very, you know, he doesn't want to offend that twenty percent, but eighty <laughs> percent, right? Yes. Okay, yes. No, not a problem. That okay. So we covered that. Yeah. Um, why would and, you secretly? And, why would you secretly not want me to post this? Because I had the feeling in the interview like there was an obligatory feel about it that I was just a because we're acquaintances and that it that it just I, I don't know I just got, got got the feeling from it that you weren't into it and it just felt like it felt like you were doing it out of guilt or obligation and and it in a kind of um you didn't seem that interested, and you do, and you, you seemed um, not entertained by me, mm-hmm. not interested in my my uh, career or comedy, and I'm sure that's probably just me being insecure. But it, um, I just walked away from it feeling like um, <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I I, I I understand. Uh, your name again, Paul? Right? I <laughs> no. I, I feel like a I feel like a douche for bringing this up, but I I I had to be I had to be honest, and that's one of the things that your podcast is about, and my podcast is about. So I figured, what the fuck? You know, I'm the one being interviewed. I might as well do what I expect of my guests, and you expect of your guest, which is talk about the what's making them un- un- uncomfortable. Well, and I think, so that- okay, okay, all right, well, let me address that. I uh, I don't know that that was true. I, I think okay. that what had happened was we'd had the mishap, and uh, uh, you came over once, and there was an, uh, or we had planned to do it, and there was a problem. Right. I'm not sure what the problem was. I can't remember. Your electricity was out. Well, that's a problem. And yeah. and then there was a rescheduling, and, you know, sometimes, yeah. um, you know, I enjoy what you do. I mean, I, I, I love the uh, stand-up that I've seen, and I also had a, gr- a real fondness for the character that you used to do, and we've talked many times, and I think that uh, this conversation that we had took place before you embarked on your own um, your own exploration of conversation with others. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that, you know, maybe you've evolved a bit as a person since our conversation, and, and now you're trying to, uh, to throw me under the bus with your old self. <laughs> I, and and I and I think you know what you're doing is like you know old Paul uh, you know understands uh, how he felt, but uh, new Paul doesn't want old Paul in the picture anymore. So you know I somehow have become part of old Paul's uh, presentation of himself publicly, and now you're giving this big disclaimer and throwing me under the bus right here in front of my own listeners. So now they're going to listen with a tempered ear. And, and this is how, this is how you're building up momentum with your podcast. I understand you're the new guy in town. You're the guy that talks to people in an honest way. So that was very clever. And I, and I, what I want to say 
in the name of honesty is that what you did there by making yourself the victim of a perfectly reasonable conversation about feelings and comedy is that you probably will get a few people that will say after hearing this conversation, you know, I think Paul was right. I don't think Marin was really in it. And I don't think Marin is what he used to be anymore. And I think that maybe it's time to check out Paul Gilmartin's podcast because he seems to actually be more open and capable of discussing these type of things. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're so much sicker than I thought you were. Did I bring to I, well, I thought that's the kind of relationship we were having here. You throw me under the bus out of your insecurities on my show after I have you on for an hour at a different point in your life. And you're just you're you're you know, if that's your version of recovery running away from who you were, then then that's fine. Now, right now, I'm trying to figure out what percentage of you is serious and what percentage of you is pulling my chain. Well, if you're having an issue with that now, why are you believing what you thought before? You see what I'm saying, Paul? This is your problem. Oh, I know it's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This is all my problem. I, I think I feel like, in, in many ways, I feel like your, your little brother. And I guess I care very much what you think of me. You know, a lot of times people don't sort of walk around as open and as needy as we are. So once you get right. to, once you get two of that type of person in a room where it's just a, right. a, a battle to get needs met, I can't imagine how uh, we're both not going to feel a little weird walking away from it. And yeah. and I'm I'm glad you, you that you know that I inspired you, and I'm glad that it's working out for you. But I but I I think that I think it went great, and, and I'm glad we had this conversation. Okay. And uh, okay. I, I am too. I am too. Because now at least I, nothing is nothing is left unsaid, and if I look like an asshole, um, at least I've I've been the one that makes myself look like an, an asshole instead of just thinking I came across as an asshole. Okay, all right. Now we're going down the rabbit hole here, and uh, I um, so right. but I, but I think it's fine. Okay. All right. All right. And I'll, and I appreciate this call, and I'll talk to you later. Okay, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Okay, Paul. Hello? Paul. Hey, buddy. I'm just calling you back because, like, I wasn't completely comfortable with our last conversation. Okay. Is this turning into a Mencia thing? No. No, no, okay. it's no, it's not even see a thing. It's just that we're both very sensitive, and like I think I was, I, I, I don't think you were right about about our interview, but I think in the last conversation I was kind of a little, uh, I was a little dicky, and I'm not. I, I just wanted to call you back to tell you that you know, um, uh, I, I, I enjoy our conversations, and and you've helped me a great deal, and uh, and I'm sorry if I come off uh, as dickish or detached, but sometimes when I, I come in. Uh, yeah, in contact, or I talk to somebody who is equally as uh, raw as I am and as needy as I am. Uh, sometimes I get a little uh, a little callous because I see too much of myself, and uh, so I just wanted to call you back in response to uh, the the last conversation we had, where you where we talked about your feelings about our original conversation, and say that um, that I love you, man, and I'm and I'm glad uh, I'm glad everything's working out, and uh, and I'm sorry if I if I was detached or condescending in any way yeah. or at all uh, sort of bullying or, or any of that. I just yeah, you, know, you were not you were not you were not bullying at all at all, and you, you calling me back and saying this means a lot to me. It really means a lot to me, and it, it, I 
I really appreciate it. It um, and I'm 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 glad uh, I'm glad that you called. Okay, buddy. So uh, we're good. No, go fuck yourself. All right, Paul. I'll talk to you later. Paul Gilmartin is in the garage. We finally got it done. We're gonna do. We're gonna do it. I think all systems are go. We've uh, we've had a couple of close calls on this. Almost mm-hmm. happened. Didn't happen. So uh, you all right, buddy? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I people ask me, you know, how, how you holding up, and I say my life's great. My perspective is horrible, and uh, on certain days my perspective is is great, and and I realize that my life is great. But there are days when I'm just in fear of the unknown and and what's going to what's going to happen next you know i shared with you in an email that this gig i've had for the last 16 years a third of my life is uh is over now that's and, dinner in a movie yeah with paul gilmartin and any number of female co-hosts <laughs> that's right how many female co-hosts you go through uh three uh-huh so three. the third one so like a marriage kind of yeah yeah it is because the show is largely improvised and Improvisation's a really intimate thing. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was a it was a cute thing that they had going there for a long time. You yeah. were funny on it; it was pleasant. Thanks. Yeah, a little thing going with the ladies on the show that you were with. Yeah, it took it took me a long time to appreciate uh, the show because for the longest time I was so afraid what the the people wouldn't think it was good or cool. People, or, what do you mean? What people? My peers mostly. I, I care desperately what my the peers... The back of the room? My peers, yeah. The back of the room syndrome. Oh, yeah, and it's awful. And it, and, and I would have to drink uh, when I would come home from a, a day of shooting because uh, I would just be in my head about, oh, was that joke hacky? Was this... You know, the, the, the truth is my peers didn't even watch the show. Yeah, I did, and yeah. it was hacky. But I... Um... <laughs> But you know, I'm yeah, shocked that you were able to get out of your <laughs> self-indulgence to uh, consider somebody else for five minutes. You know, gig's a gig. You know what yeah, I mean? But yeah. <laughs> I, I can't disagree. There was moments no, of the show that I I'm, thought were great I'm and original. Gonna, I'm and, not going to let you take that to heart. It was a perfectly fine outlet for you. Okay. But uh, why, why? Hold on. Let's, let's go back and look at the backhandedness <laughs> buried in that fucking state. It was it was fine for you. It was a perfectly that, fine outlet that, for, for you. you. Oh, that was too. That was you took down me and the show. How dare you? Did I? How, yes. <laughs> that was so backhanded. I didn't mean it to be. Oh, that it's way. all right, man. It's all right. No, I I, I watched it and I watched it mostly when uh, I'm, I'm glad. By the way, that my that my first foray into talking about the show at at length since I'm done with it, my fears are being realized. Yeah, well, I think it's important for you to see the truth. Enough of this perspective <laughs> bullshit. I mean, you want to be honest, or yes. you want to just try to reframe everything? It's why like, people listen to your show. And I don't know why they listen to my show Paul. because the because of the honesty. No, but the truth of the matter is, is when I watched it. I mean, I watched it primarily when it was you and Annabelle. I, I had no idea it was on for the last what six or seven years. Uh, that's actually the truth. That yeah. is the truth. I'm I'm on it, and I did, didn't watch it. Yeah, I mean, it's how it, could I be upset with you for not watching? I'm taking shots here, but I, it was fine. It was fun. It was, uh, you, you know, it was. A lot of people don't realize we're comics. There's only a few jobs we can do on television, and hosting in some form or another is one. Yeah. And to make it your own, look, I was the host of Short Attention Span Theater for a year. I almost hung myself because yeah. I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah. But yeah, but who the fuck on that level? That like you said before, you're generating original content. You're engaging with somebody else. You're being funny in the moment. I mean, that's the best you can ask for. Yeah, it really. Is. But I mean, I don't know when you took it. I mean, you came out of where? Where are you, Minnesota? 
Uh, Chicago. Chicago originally. But thanks for paying attention to uh, any conversations we've had in the past. Well, you know, but I consider that the, the Midwestern comedy scene. It's the flyover states. No, it's not the flyover states, but I mean, you were a stand-up comic. Yes. I don't know why I put Minnesota in my head just now. Did I meet maybe, you in Minnesota maybe once? because I like hockey, and uh, a lot of Minnesotans are from... But I feel like I met you in Minnesota. Is that possible? <gasps> did we did we perform at Acme together? No, I don't think so. But I feel, I like, uh, I feel like I met you briefly many years ago before uh, you were doing Dinner in a Movie. Yeah. Because I know I met Nick Schwartzen at Acme, like you know, probably fifteen years ago, yeah. when he looked different and younger and I'm trying to remember the first, beat up. first time you and I, <laughs> first time. I'm just glad you're taking down somebody else other than other than me. I think Nick would be the first to admit that he is, uh, you know, he doesn't look like he did fifteen years ago. Yeah, I had I had somebody uh, yesterday say to me, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I was in in my head of, uh, oh fuck, am I ever going to work again? Blah blah blah. Are you? And this person comes, I don't know. Um, <laughs> You know, give me five bucks and then I'll feel like I worked here today. Okay, I'll uh, give you a free bag of coffee. And this person comes up and he goes, "Hey, man, how you how, how you doing?" I said, "You know, I'm typical line. Uh, I, my life's great. I just my perspective is fucked." And he goes, "Okay, good, because you look horrible." Oh my god! <laughs> it was like I was. I, even if you think that, yeah, keep, keep the, that to yourself. Keep that one in. Appreciate yeah. the honesty, look, but you know, he says you look exhausted. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and it's impossible not to take that as a passive aggressive or just yeah. aggressive thing. Like yeah. it's framed in this sort of like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned. Yeah. So you started as a stand up. Yeah. And where were you at in your stand up career out of Chicago? I mean, what? Who was in the scene then? Who were your peers? Um, uh, my peers were Jimmy Pardo. Um, uh, one of my one of my best friends. Um, we've been friends for great guy, some years. Funny yeah. guy. Yeah. Never not funny. The yeah. name of that podcast. Yeah. Um. Who who else? Uh, my wife, uh, Carla Felicia, was a was a stand up then. Uh, Stephen Leo, mm-hmm. um, John Regi. So uh, that goes back. Yeah, yeah, mid eighties. Yeah, and a lot of and a lot of Second City people. There was a there was an overlap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in Second City at that uh, hanging around at that time was uh, Mike Myers was just uh, had had just kind of uh, I think moved there. I didn't I didn't know him, but yeah. a, a lot of the other. Uh, Tina Fey, Scott Adsit, and I went through Second City through their training program together. Uh-huh. We were in the same graduating uh, class. Um, but you were always a stand-up, though, right? Yeah, but uh, I did I did improv before I did did stand-up. But I always wanted to do stand-up. I was just afraid to get up on stage by myself. I, I, a bunch of people, I'm sure. What I'm, are we talking? Mid mid eighties. Yeah, 80, 80s? 87, 88. Right. Yeah, that's when I started. So we're of oh, yeah? the same generation. Yeah. Yeah. Like I started working as a comedian in 1988. And you didn't even have to be good back then to 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 work because in Chicago there were sixteen full time comedy clubs. Wow the the level of the quality of comedy was horrible. So you had to really thank God some of the open mics I went to were kind of alternative. Uh, there's this place called the Roxy in Chicago that was really really great. Bob Odenkirk. Uh, Ken Campbell, Stephen Leo, Emo Phillips, we would all go and and do these open mics and it was just, we would make each other laugh and sometimes there would be six, Tom Giannis, there would be like six people in the in the crowd and uh, we'd just be making each other laugh and that was, I think, where you really kind of learned yeah. what you wanted to do. The brotherhood. The brotherhood, yeah. So it was, I have a lot of a lot of fond memories of, of those times back then. So now you were like, what... What uh, precipitated the move to Los Angeles? 
just felt like it was time. I was headlining. I mean, you know, it's a mistake to move I here before you're a headliner. I associate what? you with Minnesota and, and Indiana and all that. Why? Bob and Tom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you were a big Bob and Tom guy. I was. Uh, I remember like doing Bob and Tom, and it was always Paul Gilmartin this, Paul Gilmartin that. Oh, really? Well, no, I just remembered yeah. you were of that area. That's why I yeah. identified you, with you as a as a regional comic of that. Yes. Period. Yeah. Yes. They they had uh, taken to to my act, and uh, and that was the first kind of drawing power that I had was from people knowing me from from that show. Um, but then I I kind of my act evolved. To I started doing stuff when when I was doing stuff for their their show, it was doing stuff that I thought the audience wanted to hear, and they did, but I didn't know what it was that I wanted so to hear. But let's talk about that for a minute because okay. that's something I don't really talk about is the power of regional radio. Because yeah. I mean, certainly uh, Howard Stern, uh, Bob and Tom, uh, these were guys that had a lot of real estate, a lot of mental real estate. Yeah. And if you were a Bob and Tom act, you yeah. know, you could work what Illinois, Indiana, parts of Minnesota. I mean, they had a huge reach here, a huge show. Oh yeah, my, many more states than that. They were in. Uh, well, when I first started doing them in like 1990, yeah, I was a feature act, and the uh, the headliner was a ventriloquist. So obviously, Which he's one? not. He's not. I didn't even remember his name, yeah. but uh, he. Obviously, wasn't going to come do the radio show. Yeah, uh, he just sent the puppet. He just sent the puppet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so they had me come on, and I used to do poems in in my act. So that was the hook. That was the hook, and they loved it, and is very radio friendly, but kind of you know edgy at the same time for for that style of comedy. Yeah. And uh, so they, but they were they weren't syndicated yet. So as they began to syndicate. All of a sudden, I'm getting these club offers from other places, and I don't really understand that, you know, it's because Bob and Tom are growing. So I go from just regular struggling stand-up comedian to uh, a headliner to all of a sudden a headliner that is selling out, you know, an entire week. And people want to hear those poems. And people want to hear those poems, and but then... I, by the time that had happened, I'd become really bored with that part of my act. So I was going out and really just doing it for the money. Still enjoying the fact that people are paying to see me. Because as you know, there is nothing like selling out a week and having people pay a special event price to come see you perform. Yeah, I I, I just had a little taste of that in my life. And yeah. It's happening now. So yes. like... You know, if you would have talked to me like a year or so ago, I would have been like, no, Paul, I have no idea right. what you're talking about. Yeah, but it's exciting. It's like, very exciting. For me, it's very gratifying. Yeah. Uh, the catch-22 was, is that I had no longer, I, I wasn't interested in that act anymore. So I would have to do half of my act for them and the other half would be of where I was at. Now I was starting to talk about politics. I was st- starting to talk about other stuff and they were not interested in that but like uh, aggressively not interested or just not interested somewhere in between now but did you ever sense that at that time you were like uh you know i don't like me why should these people like me do you like me now yeah 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 absolutely (laughs) Uh, do you still like me now after i said that how about now after i said that yeah oh look no one likes me anymore how does that feel for everyone yeah i've i've always cared too much about what the audience thought of me to ever really do like what you do um i've uh, 
I've I've always played it a little safe. Now, in, how am I supposed to take that? Should I make a? I'm going to make a little mark on there. That seemed a little passive aggressive to me. So that, I'm going to. That was the highest compliment. Um, oh, that was. Yeah. See how I mistook that? Yeah, of course. Like you know, see, but it was a tone thing too. Yeah. Like you know, to do what you do. No, you you. I mean, your like, comedy is uncompromising. Yeah, but I don't have a choice. I mean, I, there's yes, no, you do. You totally have a choice. What do you mean? What What am I going to do? Poems. <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay, so you're out there alienating audiences after your first wave of success. Not alienating, uh, hating Just, hating myself for not having the balls to really say what I want to say. You know, the podcast that I that, that I've started doing in the last. Hey, is, can we, you it, want to plug the podcast? Yeah, yeah. It's called the <laughs> the, the mental illness happy hour. I don't know how I'm supposed to take that. Um, boy, th- th- this is like. Uh, <laughs> A hurricane. Two incredibly <laughs> insecure, passive-aggressive people getting together. The winds are whipping up. I just want to make sure we plug the podcast. Did you get that plug in? Uh, the mental illness happy hour. <laughs> yeah. My point I is- I did the first episode, I think, didn't I? Uh, second. Oh, all right. I've, I'm finally able to talk about everything I've ever wanted to talk about to an audience. I just needed the podcasting medium Outlet. to be able to do it to feel safe enough to do it my point that i'm going back to is you always had the balls to talk about what you wanted to talk about on stage well i think and I, i've always envied that but i think that unlike a lot of comics I, I from the beginning my my own self-hatred you know just took for granted that the audience is going to judge me harshly so i defied them to like me yeah you know, I mean, I, i'm not even how sure. did you work though that you know to me i, I would equate work. that i would equate that with nobody's ever going to book me but you did work yeah no i did but not like that not to the degree you did i mean i you know two years ago before i started the podcast i couldn't get work and it wasn't and that was for a lot of reasons but i never yeah. built up any sort of following to even disappoint yeah i mean i i was respected people knew who i was to some degree yeah. but uh, I, I never guess, i guess i'm basing that on how you were treated here locally because locally you would you would close a show full of great alternative comedians which to me was uh uh the pinnacle of, of yeah, critical achievement but even then i don't think that i was necessarily alternative and by the time i got up out here i'd already been doing comedy 15 years or 20 whatever the fuck it is yeah you know what i mean but it was always sort of like um it was always a lot of wrestling Mm-hmm. But I mean, but I was different. I mean, I, you know, I never, even when I was doing aggressive comedy, I didn't feel like I was doing what I should be doing. And then it, eventually it all turned all around where I was sort of like, well, why can't I just be goofy? You know, why can't I be cute? Why can't I be lovable? I mean, I'm a lovable wow. guy. You must have still been getting loaded, huh? When you thought that? No, that was after I got sober. Oh my God. So how much did that play into it? I mean, you're, okay, so you're going up, you're doing your poems, you're doing some politics. People are like, this isn't the same guy we hear on the radio, is it? And then you're like, well, fuck you all. I'm moving to Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, the 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 actually the t- Bob and Tom explosion happened after I'd moved to Los Angeles. Um, but I got dinner and a movie pretty quickly after uh, moving to to L.A. I moved here in January of '94, uh, a week before the Northridge earthquake, and uh, and got dinner and a movie in September of '95. So uh, that took the heat off of having to be on the road a lot. And during that time, Bob and Tom uh, were really starting to, to, to get big. So it's like all of a sudden I had two things that were really paying off. I had this TV gig and then I had the ability to choose which and what clubs and how often I would go out to them. So I was finally able to do stand up on my own, but on my own terms. Right. Um, 
I, I would just go out once a month and I enjoyed it, but I didn't necessarily enjoy all of the material I was doing. I just felt like there was... Yeah, but that happens all the time. Even I if suppose. you're doing like you know what you want to do, don't you eventually you know get tired of it? Yeah, I suppose. But okay, but wait, what's interesting is that you know you're a guy... Like I know you, I know you know we're both open about being sober, mm-hmm. about having some recovery in our lives. Uh, we have a hyper acute self awareness that you know mm-hmm. actually in and of itself can be paralyzing at times, mm-hmm. uh, even when it's supposedly beneficial, right? <laughs> yeah, and you, you, you know it sounds like you you sort of came up you know very quickly. Mm-hmm. You have what six or seven years under your belt, then you got the gig, right? Yeah, yeah. So you you had an act for the most part, at yeah. least a solid four. Yeah, it was a solid headliner. Yeah. yeah, and you got this gig, and this yeah. is everything everybody wants. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't see that, but right. Yes. But then you align yourself with Bob and Tom, and now all of a sudden you can kind of pick and choose when yeah. you go out and sell out rooms. Right. So you know you were winning on all levels. Yeah. When did the shit hit the fan? Uh, well, I never felt like I was winning on all levels. I felt like financially, hey, I've got some breathing room here. Mm-hmm. This is good, but I felt like. Um, I wasn't connecting to the audience. I, what, who I was as a person and what the battles in my brains, in my brains, in my brain was not, I wasn't able to really make that into the the art or the communicative de- device that I what, wanted what, what to. What were some of these themes that were haunting you? Sadness, uh, thoughts of suicide. Um, feel you know the the intro to to my podcast is uh, the mental illness happy hour an hour of honesty about all the battles in our brains from medically diagnosed conditions to compulsive negative thinking thoughts of uh, feelings of dissatisfaction disconnection inadequacy and that vague sinking feeling that the world is passing us by yeah you give us an hour we'll give you an, uh, a ladle of awkward and icky yeah and that is what I've had inside me my whole life that I could never express in stand-up. Well, have you been able to sort of like, were, were you unable to frame it properly? I mean, you know, I as, tried and I would just always bail on it. But where was, does it come from? What? The, ba- the, that, ba- the bailing or that stuff? That stuff. Uh, come from a long line of Irish Catholic alcoholics that uh, were high functioning. Uh, and then one day we try to kill ourselves um, because we... We just don't. And my dad tried to kill himself when he was in his in his sixties. Uh, he was a, an insurance executive, L- literally had the Don Draper office, yeah. you know, with the bar, uh-huh. and uh, didn't show up for a business meeting. And he had tried to open his his wrists in a New York uh, ho- hotel, and uh, this was in in ninety two, and they committed him to Bellevue, and uh, the psychiatrist would only let him out of Bellevue if he would check himself directly into a rehab. So Christmas Eve of 92, we picked my dad up at O'Hare Airport and drove him to a uh, uh, rehab. And, uh, and you're a grown man already with this. Grown man already. And the next day I went and wrote a poem uh, about it. It's actually mm. one of the few poems that I, I don't feel like a hack. Do you remember it? Uh-huh. What is it? Uh, it's called a Christmas poem. Did you, you want me to do it? Is that what you're? Is that what you're saying? I'm. I'm curious to hear the okay. bit of comedy that came out of you the day after your dad recovering yeah. from a suicide attempt was checked involuntarily. Yeah. Into a rehab for alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, the the poem. Uh, I mean, it's not 
necessarily i don't talk about my dad's no, suicide it, in the poem the but the, the feeling of it yes it it uh eggnog tinsel falling snow buttered rum and mistletoe trimming trees and hanging lights the sound of carolers fill the night shopping hours long and hard visa calls and cancels card unpaid bills and mounting debt family gathers depression sets drinking starts harsh words are said dysfunction rears its yuletide head Argument turns to shoving. Drunken brother punches cousin. Tree tips over, popping lights. Curtains catch. House ignites. No one hears the reindeer cries. Wedged in chimney, Santa dies. Though he kicked and did perspire, his chestnuts roasted on an open fire. So that's my... What a fucking dark heart in there, and (laughs) all of a sudden we're on a ball-burning joke. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was, you know, Bob and Tom audiences, so I was like, I've I've got to put... uh, you know, when was I the last make time you wacky. said that out loud? That that poem? Yeah. Oh, maybe three years ago, doing doing stand up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's a poem that I I don't feel ashamed about because it came some, from some place real. And um, but how did you use it? So that's the day after. I mean, this is a lot to take. So you're you're in your thirties. Your father has tried to kill himself out of nowhere. I imagine yeah. Yeah. to some degree. You knew he was an alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, you knew that things weren't good. Yeah. Oh, and here's and here's the degree of denial in my family. Um, there was no, uh, there was only a payphone in the hallway at Bellevue. So we're trying to get a hold of my dad. I thought you said in your house. I thought you were going to say there's yeah, only a payphone at the house. We were very cheap. <laughs> uh, and so we would call this payphone every day and try to get a hold of my dad. But you're you're basically trying to get other mental patients. To, to get, pick up the phone and go find somebody they don't know. Sure. So, but after two days, we managed to get a hold of my dad, and I said, "And I said, Dad, it's it's Paul. How are you?" And my dad goes, "Oh, fine." <laughs> That's a that Midwestern charm that yeah. hides everything. And that that is what I've been trying to talk about in as an as an artist, comedian, as a human being. But it, it, my entire life is that living with that wall and i feel like finally having this podcast i'm able to take that wall down and and talk about it and not feel the pressure of am i boring people am i you know is some heckler gonna yell out well yeah and you don't have to it's not necessary to frame it in jokes right that you can speak openly honestly you know alone on the mic or or with somebody that's uh supportive or at least sympathetic yeah and 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 if there is humor in 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 my podcast it comes out organically but what's interesting to me in that moment though the day after this happens yeah you know this is fairly traumatic and i you know i've got problems with my father right now that, that that i haven't been able to talk about publicly and you know i suck it up and you know i have a certain amount of distance from that Mm -hmm. and you know i do what i have to do to entertain myself i try to keep myself busy because there's not a lot i can do but one of the ways we make ourselves feel better you know before we even get to the audience is is framing this stuff in a way that we can handle it that where our hearts can take it now you can call that denial you can call it avoidance you can call it whatever you want but yeah. on a very basic level sometimes it's just a fucking survival mechanism yeah. and to open that door into that the unruly feelings that could engulf you yeah uh, when you grow up with mental illness or alcoholism or whatever i mean that's you got to do that a little at a time you yeah. every once in a while you open that thing up but the funny thing is, is that you do a joke like that you do a poem like that that comes out of that moment yeah you have let a little steam out. That's exactly the metaphor I was just going to use. Is And I felt that because I, 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 I wrote the poem. It just came pouring out. I was sitting waiting to get my hair cut at a barber shop, and I happened to have paper and pen with me. And in 15 minutes, it just poured out. And I remember walking home 
after getting my hair cut and feeling a little lighter and feeling like, oh, this is how art Right. Saves you. It's also how you integrate it into your own understanding. Yeah, I felt I mean, like at least I got something good out of this and, other than pain. Right. And also you knew the relatability factor. You got Christmas holidays. Everyone's got fucked up families. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, Santa dying is, is funny. Yeah. Yeah. In a broad way. Yeah. And then, you know, you got his balls burning, which just adds yeah. another component. But but the truth of the matter is, is that. You couldn't have done a poem about, you know, picking your father up, right. you know, on Christmas Day with, right. with bandages around his wrist to drive him to Hazleton. But or that's what that... I really wanted to do. That's yeah, what because I, I thought that anything short of that is. I, I understand it, that. But yeah. how the fuck is that funny? I didn't care. No, I, I wanted I to dump. That. I wanted to dump on right. the audience. Well, so that's so you, at, at least at this point in your career, yeah. you know that you, you're more honest with yourself. You can be more honest in what you're talking about. Yeah. But there is a limit. I mean, I yeah. know what it's like to get laughs of pure discomfort. That that is not, that is a type of laughter. I'm not sure it's the type of laughter people want to experience when they yes. go out for the evening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I I, mean, I wanted to experience that though because I wanted oh, to. I've experienced it's like that. I wanted to bring the rest of the world down to my level and go, "How's this feel, motherfuckers?" You know, it's it's incredibly selfish. Um, but I don't know if it's down to your level because the truth is, is that like that poem, yeah. you know, we, you know, which leading up to it on some level, you know, could have gone either way in terms of darkness or or, or humorous you know components like look you know if you end with a good dick joke or killing santa claus you know you can pretty much you you can wallow in whatever you want right i mean it's how you're gonna button the thing right you know but just be like but to get in front of an audience go that's where i'm at how we all doing (laughs) that's different well the funny thing too is almost every one of my poems ends with somebody dying yeah and i remember one time uh opening for Stephen leo doing something and and i had and i had you know broken out a new poem and they came up to me and they said how you doing are you okay this seems to be a Every, theme in your everything, life you look in, exhausted everything <laughs> everything in your act is about suicide and uh i guess i couldn't it's funny how people can see no more about us from seeing an hour of us on stage sometimes than we will know in our lifetime but you think about the people that really mine this territory with any real success it's it's even de- it's delicate with them as well. I mean, because first of all, as much as we'd like to believe it, it's not everyone's experience. There's plenty of people that never think about killing themselves. Right. I mean, there you know it's probably fifty fifty, mm-hmm. but I mean there are plenty that don't. Right. But we think like you know like if you just dig a little deeper, why would you want to live? I mean, we think that with anybody. I right. mean, you're, you're lying to yourself on some level because this is fucked up. Right. But but so it's already a fifty fifty shot with right. an audience. But you deal with people like uh, Dana Gould or Titus, or people that really confront this shit, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, head on. I mean, the, it's, it's even if it's done well, it's it's not for everybody. No. no. And you, but, but nonetheless, it is part of the human struggle, and I think it's important. And right. I don't think it's a, a, uh, an indication of weakness or even sickness, necessarily. Right. I just think people are wired a little more sensitively, and they may not have the tools to, you know, to move on. Yeah. And I think it's important what uh, what to talk about that stuff. Uh, I find it incredibly uh, cathartic. Well, what? How come you sobered up, and what did that look like? Um, I could see on paper that my life was great. Um, making I was making great money doing dinner in a movie. You know, I've got people paying to come see me do stand up. I got a wife. I got a house. Um, you know, I'm. I got my health. 
on paper, my life is amazing, and I'm thinking about suicide, if not every day, every hour. But we, but was there a point where you were going to do it? I mean, are yeah, we just- I, 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 well, I don't know. I had applied. I'd taken the test to get a gun, uh, to get a, so I had a gun permit, and I hadn't bought- for that reason. No, I was starting to hear. Uh, I was starting to hear voices. Um, when I would go down, uh, lay my head down at night to sleep, uh, I could have sworn I heard people in the backyard saying, Paul, Paul. And so one of the reasons I wanted to get a, a, a gun, because I thought, are there people in the Who know me in the that backyard? I need to kill? <laughs> in the backyard? <laughs> and then I, and then uh, eventually I realized that I, after I stopped drinking for a little bit, I, the voices went away and I was like, oh, I think I'm just drinking too much. Um, and, I went to see a psychiatrist because of these these feelings of, of suicide, and he suggested that I stop drinking and using drugs. And I thought, no problem, because uh, I, I didn't drink during the day. I didn't drink drink when I when I play golf. Everybody drinks when they play but golf. But you came from alcoholism, and you knew that. Yes, but we're sneaky alcoholics. I wasn't the ugly drunk yet, mm. so I didn't think. I knew I was a heavy drinker, but I didn't know I was an alcoholic. Um, and the psychiatrist said, I can't gauge where your depression is until you quit. So I need you to quit. And so I tried to quit and I found out that I'd lost the power of choice. Mm. And that made me more anxious. And so I began to drink more. And I remember being out of town and I said, I'm just going to have one drink. I'm going to go because the usual group of people that would go out drinking couldn't go out. And right. I didn't want to, I don't know if you know that feeling when you can't sit in your hotel room. Yeah. But you also don't want to go drink at a bar by yourself and feel like a loser. But that yeah. was the better choice. So I went, I said, I'm just going to have one drink. What is it mm-hmm. about hotel rooms? I mean, oh, with nothing mocks you more than an empty hotel room. I've gotten better at it. But I mean, like I'm, so now like, I'm like, if it's a nice bed and shit, I'm like, yeah. this is great. Yeah. Yeah. I have a good, bo- a good book. But when you're... When you're a drunk. When yeah. you're a drunk and you don't know that the problem with life is your perception. Well, when you have the choice of like, I buy a bottle, I sit in here, yeah. or I go out where there might be a you know sad girl or some other idiots or right. something to look at yeah. other than me, mm-hmm. I'm going to opt for that. Yeah. So I did. And uh, so I'm going to have one. I'm going to be back at nine o'clock. Uh, I had 10. I stayed till closing time. And it was just me and this other person. And I, I said, "Hey, you know, you know, where where can we? I think we can get a, a drink across the the street." And because uh, I just didn't want to be alone. And this person said, "No, I got I got to get up for work in the yeah, morning." What are you, pussy? Yeah. And I said, "Please don't leave. I'm so lonely." To a stranger. To a stranger. And, Drunk. And, yeah. And uh, and I woke up the next morning and thought, "Is this really who you? What did the guy say? Set out to be as a? Uh, and it was just it was a woman. And oh. uh, and she said. Uh, she said, "I'm sorry, but I, you know, I gotta, I gotta get up for work in the morning." Oh, after I said, "Please don't leave. I'm so lonely." Yeah. I don't remember. It was, um, I think I was just in my head then at that point of, "Oh my god, you fucking loser." But it's, there's also that horrible assumption that you know whoever you're left with at the end of a run like that, when you're yeah. that shit faced, that yeah. you, the other person that's there with you, even if you don't know me, like the agenda is clearly to continue drinking. That's it. My <laughs> my body, I, and I'm sure you know this feeling. You get that when you're when you're loaded, and and you're miserable the other 22 hours a day, yeah. and you get your your buzz on. Yeah, you're feeling that beautiful sensation of relaxation and excitement and complete detachment from the complete world. Complete detachment, yeah. and 
and I want to keep it going. Yeah, where are we going? And this person was local, so they you know yeah. knew where all you the watering no holes were. Yeah, there had been a group of us that had just started chatting at the bar, but one by one, everybody had you know kind of broke up. Yeah, and and, uh, and it was just me and this and this person. And she let and, you down. Yeah, and um, but I still couldn't I couldn't get help because I I was like it's the only thing that makes me feel good and how how can I how could I give that up. Uh, and then I woke up one morning and it was like every other morning, my, yeah. my first three thoughts were, you slept too late, you're a lazy piece of shit, your life is passing you by. My stomach would tighten into a knot. I'd think about all the things I had to do that day, yeah, dreading them. And the only thing I'd look forward to is just getting loaded. And yet knowing intellectually, that's what's making this spiral. And, uh, and I just said the words out loud. I said, God help me. I can't do this anymore. And I'm not a, not a religious person. Uh, at all, I was raised Catholic. If anything, that turned me off. To, yeah. Uh, it and uh, but for some reason that day I I got help and I've been sober every every day since then. Well, that's quite a story. Uh, it it is. It's a fucking miracle. It's a fucking miracle. But it's been a lot of work and a lot of opening up that trap door and looking at the at what a frightened, insecure, self centered, self pitying, impatient, competitive, narcissistic, vindictive little boy i can be on I'm, any given day well i'm certainly glad you're not beating up on yourself anymore no but, <laughs> but i have to be aware of that I, I think i'm a i think i'm a great person mark i yeah. do i've gotten to the point where Jesus i think Christ, i'm a great a joke, person paul that was meant as joke mark says <laughs> joke paul gets defensive <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's the other character uh flaw i have is sometimes i uh, take myself way too far i take seriously. everything seriously when yeah. people joke with me i'm like what yeah, they're like lighten up. I'm yeah. like, you lighten up. You yeah. just hurt me. Yeah, I got to tell you, I've been I've been really looking forward to coming and doing this podcast for two reasons. For one, because it's popular, and I hope it'll bring people to to my podcast. But the other one is knowing what it's going to be like for you to not be have a faraway look in your eye when I'm talking to you for over an hour, because mm. you you are the most distracted person that i've known in the last 20 years there are very few people that i know that aren't uh drinking and using still whose mind can just kind of leave in the middle of a and i can take that two ways that i'm uninteresting or that you are self-involved and i think the truth is probably somewhere between those two well what where does uh, what, how does uninteresting is that umbrella uh you know cover draining <laughs> coming from you i can laugh at that coming from you i can totally laugh at that from the king of suck <laughs> the sump pump of the soul oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But that's one of the things that i that i really uh love about you and love hanging uh, with you is that is that we can bust each other's balls and we both know that there's truth underneath that but 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 that you can do that. That's all I ask of in a friend is be able to laugh at yourself. You know, yeah. and people that aren't truly, truly draining people really yeah, are the yeah. people that can't laugh about that. There are people that are much more draining. Well, yeah, because we're aware of it, but it's funny. I mean, we just, I mean, we have an understanding yeah. uh, because we're, we're similar, uh, you know, but there is that thing where, and I get, I get into this with other people too. Like sometimes because we're of the same milk, uh, emotionally and right. psychologically I'm, I'm not talking about we're both sober or anything else right. just that we're yeah. wired in a similar way right is that sometimes you know you might be having a good day 
and you know you may be a good person but if you know another captain suck suck energy comes along uh -huh. there's party that's sort of like i can't i just can i just have a fucking hour yeah. yeah, I happen to be out of it right now. Uh, I'd, I'd love to help you, but this part of my selfishness where I enjoy the hour without you sucking mm -hmm. me out, uh, you know, I'm going to do that. So yeah. maybe you call me in an hour. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten very good at detaching from people that, that drain. You know, there's a, there's a, a hell, I, I, I've discovered that fine line between helping people and being used by somebody and, who you're just enabling by l sitting and listening to their monologue. Well, that's the weird thing about it. It's an interesting topic uh, in that, you know, the, it is possible even when you're being self-aware uh, and self-caring and proactive in, in, you know, taking care of yourself emotionally and psychologically that you can spin your own wheels. I mean, you can get stuck in that too, you know, where, where like... <laughs> I just, I, I just, I saw you looking at me. I, I know what, what you're you thinking. You're like, what? this is Mark's denial. We're hearing. No, it. no, I wasn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's what I heard. That's no. what I heard. That's what I decided you were saying. Is like, look at Mark justifying his uh, character defects and his yeah. issues yeah. Uh, with this weird monologue about. No, I uh, actually tuned you out and was thinking about <laughs> something about myself. <laughs> I did. How, how selfish am I if I'm tuning out the host? Well, no. What, where'd you go? Uh, I went. Uh, you want want me to be brutally honest? Yes. I went to a place of. I hope we're going to talk about my uh, Republican character, uh, because deep down I feel like that character has never gotten the uh, attention that it it deserves. Okay, so you, I just want to make note that uh, Paul called me easily distracted. Yeah, I, that's what I'm, I'm writing that down. Ta that I'm the that not only easily distracted. That was a, a pretty, that was like a. a that's a grand slam. Is yeah. that like since you've been sober, you have never met uh, that coming from the guy who, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like that, that was fucking. A, that was like you ran the full baseline on that. I just let it go right by. I did. I'm like, wow, because yeah. then I thought, like, really? Yeah. Do I not pay attention to Paul? It's like I remember paying attention. It's to you. like I called you a pervert while I was jacking off on your face. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. the matter with you, Mark? Yeah. Well, how, how do Why you, are you so dirty? How do you live with yourself? <laughs> No, but you know, then I'm. But thinking, that's where I went to because uh, we you know, can talk about that. But like, I remember we were in Bloomington. You came down to my show. You were doing a corporate gig, and we showed up for each other. We hung out. We spent yeah. some time. It was good. I was focused. I think we're, that, and, and you you helped me very much that night because I was I did done a corporate gig that completely drained my soul, made me feel dirty, and I came and it was all your people. Uh, you at let the me Bloomington at uh, the Comedy Attic. Yes, great. you just showed up out of nowhere. You let me do a guest set, and I did the material that I like, and it was well received. And we got to hang out, and I spilled my guts to you, and yeah, you were you were really there for me, and and it uh, it was it was it was the Mark Marin that I love that 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 was there that night instead what? of the, the Mark Marin that frustrates me when I'm in the middle of a sentence and he starts looking off into space. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, what what was it like corporate gigs? I don't know if I've ever really talked to anybody about that. It's the worst. It's it's well, what was for the one, situation. Well, for one, it was a group of it was some, I don't even remember the, the the company, but it was very Republican and very conservative, and uh, I had to do an hour, and probably half of my act is pretty liberal and uh, make fun of conservatives and uh 
So, but, do you, but you don't. But do you take? Uh, you mostly mine hypocrisy. You're not yes. a policy guy. No, I'm right. not. But the stance in itself has an underlying liberalism to yeah. it that people. Uh, who are conservative can smell mm. and recoil from. That's funny because you look like you could be a conservative. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why the, I started doing that uh, character was because it. I saw everybody on stage in '04 talking, bitching about the Bush administration. I thought, what can I do that's different? And uh, I thought, I look like these guys. I know them. I, I, I play golf with them. I went to college with them. I know... Ex- the way they dress down to the fucking pinky ring, the pleated khakis, the tasseled loafers. And so I finally, I was able to use my whiteness to my artistic advantage. And you created this congressman. And I created this congressman. What's his name? Uh, Richard I, Martin. Repu- I've worked with him before. Re- Republican representative Richard Martin. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know why I got so insecure and started thinking about, I hope Mark brings that up. Um, but, um, oh, I think one of the reasons is, is people... Stephen Colbert started doing his his thing about a year after I was doing mine, and 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 he he didn't he wasn't ripping me off. He didn't see me do it, but people think that I started doing my thing after him, and that's always kind of gotten under my skin. Oh right, yeah, but it's 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 kind of a different thing because you sort of play it uh, straight. You know, Mm -hmm. Stephen does as well, but he's mining it for jokes. But you actually have stances on issues mm. that are political platforms mm-hmm. and you take questions mm-hmm. and uh you know you sort of have a disposition it's a very different demeanor mm-hmm. than colbert yeah. you know uh, people are always looking to to call you know to to scream thief you know and these are people right. that uh i'm not sure what they do but i mean that's ridiculous and i've worked with uh, representative martin you know several times always does good mm-hmm. you know oh, i would imagine backhanded backhanded no, it wasn't. Okay. I, I I mean, I would, how is that, have you done it uh, for a primarily Republican audience? I did in Georgia, and they enjoyed it. I'm uh, sure they actually, would. Actually, uh, I, then I did it in Indianapolis, and this was, uh, I would I would do the character as the opening act. You know, they uh, they were paying to see me as the headliner. Mm. Um, so they knew it was me doing this character, mm-hmm. and I would take questions from the audience. I always enjoyed that improvisational mm-hmm. part of it, and... Uh, nobody's asking questions you know they're they're just they hate it and uh in indianapolis Indianapolis. and this is when i knew i could i could never take this character really on the road to a a non-liberal right or a non-blue state open-minded and uh and this woman in the back raises her hand she goes yeah i got a question when's the headliner coming out Mm -hmm. (laughs) and everybody laughed and i was like and it was you yeah and they knew that yeah and you know they just wanted Monkey Boy to come out and do his poems. Yeah, and uh, and that is one of the things. It's, I think it's one of the reasons why I'm not doing the road now because it just you're you're up against you're up against that. If I knew it was going to be your audience or like when I go and do Richard Martin and open for uh, Janine, it, it's fun because they're they're like minded people. But when I go do it for people that that don't want to hear it it's just too much it's too much for people that aren't it's it's too specific it's an interesting indicator though that they're incapable of seeing uh, of laughing at themselves which is so much a part of that i don't know if they if it's that they don't get it or they don't or they get it and don't like it 
I don't know. I, I think that that they're 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 because I, I make fun of liberals too in it. Sure, you know? sure. Well, neither but, one of these extremes necessarily has a tremendous sense of humor about themselves. Yeah, you know, when it comes right down to the core of their politics. Yeah, uh, you know, they uh, might they might find some gray area yeah. and be able to laugh at at each of each other. Yes. Uh, but as individuals, like if you really, you know, get under the hypocrisy of either extreme, mm-hmm. uh, gets a little hairy. In oh, the 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 really really far left, politically correct far left is equally uh, as annoying to me as the as the far right. Maybe yeah. they're not violent, but they're as uncomfortable to be around. It's hard to, uh, you know, it requires a tremendous amount of charm to get under, yeah. you know, either one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the, the left is a little easier because their anger is more like, it's more familiar to us. I think that, mm-hmm. that a lot of lefty anger, you know, it comes from a, a, a lot of uh, weird, um, it's a type of defensiveness that, that defensiveness that we understand. Yeah. You know, it's not, they, they, I don't know what the analogy is. I mean, George Lakoff wrote a wrote a, uh, a book about the types of psychology that goes behind the sort of tough love, um, right-wing kind of paternal yeah. trip, and then I, the I, left-wing kind of nurturing kind of the immoral yeah. kind of trip. Yeah. Uh, you know, to me, the when they both get too far in either direction, it's the right becomes obsessed with punishing and the left becomes obsessed with saving. And, and that, I think neither of them are... Uh, kind of healthy in large amounts well it's sort of a it's like a cold war there because like the you know the uh, the punishings you know they don't see that they need to be saved Mm -hmm. and you know and sadly you know liberals you know can kind of see that they need to be punished but they'll take care of that on their own right yeah (laughs) yeah so they can't save the other people and they, they will not accept being punished by anybody but themselves right right interesting well now that we figured that out did your dad get sober he did. Uh, he then lost his sobriety at about 10 years. At age 70? Yeah, at age 70. And then uh, about a year before he died of cancer, uh, he he got sober again, or so he said, but I'm not really sure. He, he I, I don't know how much uh, work my dad did on, on himself because he never uh, made any kind of apologies to me for... Uh, the kind of dad that he was, and what know, kind of dad was that? Uh, completely disinterested in his in his children. Uh, how, how many kids you got? Uh, just one brother, and Older? we had a, and we had a cousin who was who was raised with us, raised by our family because his dad was a, a older brother. A fuck up. Uh, older brother, and the, and the cousin was thirteen years uh-huh. older than us. But uh, my dad was he was a a, a loving guy, um, but he was just trapped in his own head. And fortunately, by the time he died. I could see that and I could get over my resentment at what he wasn't and I could focus on what he was, which was a guy that lived within his means, below his means, um, always pr- provided financially for his family and um, always wanted to do the right thing. But, you know, he came from a verbally abusive, physically abusive alcoholic uh, father who, again, was high functioning. His His dad was making... You know, forty thousand dollars a year during the Great Depression. So mm. he came from a very privileged kind of upbringing. But what came with it was this dad who was overbearing and would taunt his children. Grandpa. And, yeah, I never met him. He died before before I was uh, old enough to to remember. It's interesting anything. how this stuff. Uh, but, but my yeah. dad never took that. I, getting sober, one of the gifts was I was able to see 
my dad was better than his dad. Mm-hmm. And that is a victory in itself. He probably wanted to say the mean shit that his dad said to him, right. but he didn't. So him being silent at the end of the couch in a lot of ways was a gift. Because I, like, I remember one time um, when we were doing that the shows over there at uh, Comedy Network. What, what was that? Uh, the, the fuck was it? The internet comedy thing. We all had radio shows over there. Comedy World. Yeah, I didn't have one there. You didn't? No. I thought you were over there. No. Um, so I would do sketches and stuff like that. And uh, and so I brought, when I went home to visit, I brought a compilation of these sketches I had done. And on the ride home from the airport, I played in these sketches. And I had learned how to use Pro Tools and edit and, yeah. you know, was producing this show every week. Yeah. And he listened to him and he didn't say anything. And I was like, so what did you think? And he's like, hmm. I said, wow, I really thought that you would have at least had something nice to say. And he said, I didn't think it was your best work. And I just remember looking out the window and just thinking, why do I keep going to this guy who's incapable of giving me what I what I want? Yeah. And, uh, and why do I do that to myself? And why do well? I do that to myself? <laughs> yeah. I continue. I mean, I did it here in the... In the middle of the show, I wanted you, you to bring up my Republican character. Yeah. But at least today, I can be honest about it, and I can laugh about that needy side of me when it when it comes up. Okay. Well, let's you know, as as a guys, as two guys who have, what do you got? You got double digits, you know, uh, off the booze. What uh, do you got? No, eight years. Eight years. Yeah. So okay. So uh, is there a time where uh, you know? We feel good about ourselves, Paul. I yeah. mean, through and through. Yeah, I do. I have I have moments, days, weeks, sometimes even months of just beautiful, beautiful peace and totally okay with who I am and the world exactly as it is. And then I slide back, and I and I don't know what what causes the the backwards sliding. Sometimes, sometimes I think, it, I think it's my depression. I think you know I take meds, and sometimes I, you know, I'll I'll suck psychiatrist will cut back my dosage a little bit because I'm having trouble getting up in the morning and then you know yeah <laughs> I had this thing in the last month he, he cut my dosage back and I had two wet dreams hmm. 48 years old had two wet dreams in wow. the last month really yeah that's pretty good yeah it was it, I was kind of a, a little a little proud why not yeah. Everything still but works. There, but there's always a creepiness to a, a wet dream because it's, you know, when your sexual stuff in dreams is very rarely tasteful or satisfying. It's usually, there's, there's for me, it's always a woman who's kind of vaguely bored and she's about to change her mind and then, you know, one last one last thrust and, uh, and the wet dream happens and it always feels like you're kind of peeing. So then you kind of half wake yourself up but but you don't want to wake up because you want to feel it. Yeah. So it's this weird. Wow. It's this weird. Uh, but like it's, it. it's better than. So the know. woman's sort of like, eh. yeah, yeah, and it, and it, you it, know it, what? Maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, and I think that's deep down that's a turn on to yeah. me because I've always kind of been turned on by you know the woman that that you got to chase. Yeah. Sure. And then when you get them, they're bored with you. Is that part of it? Yeah. And <laughs> when when I get them, then I'm bored with them because oh, yeah. they're into me. You know, the Groucho mm-hmm. Marx thing. Mm-hmm. So you, but your marriage is good? Yeah. Yeah. My, uh. You don't you know, have kids? Uh, no kids. Uh, Do I you find, want them? No. Mm-hmm. No, neither my wife nor I uh, want wanted kids. I, I think uh, 
that's probably one of the few good decisions that I've um, made that were tough to make. Uh, because I, deep down, even before I got help, I knew there's something wrong with you and you need to break a cycle before you bring people into this world. And you're, you're, you feel that to your core. You don't, you don't ever think like, well, maybe kids would, would sort of engage me in the challenge of breaking the cycle. I think that's a lie. Yeah, um, but if you break the cycle now, then, you know, I don't the wanna, only, it's a small victory. I don't want to gamble a person's life. Hmm. I don't have kids either. I mean, yeah. I'm not coming from a place of... Yeah, you know, no, I know. I but know. I'm just too panicky. I'm mean, just like, I can't think that far ahead. And then yeah. the idea that like, you know, oh, now we have to feed it, you know, that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the other thing that's nice too is... Uh, but I'm very responsible with my cats. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I guess I'm responsible with my dogs. But, you know, doing the podcasting, being able to talk about, like I talked about the wet dream and stuff in my in, in my podcast and... If I had kids, I wonder if I would be able to, to do that on a on a podcast. You know, I'd be kind of cringing. Oh, my kids are going to hear me talking about this or other. Well, you got a good 10 years before they can even figure out how to do that. And and probably the last thing they're going to be interested in is hearing you run your mouth when you, they listen don't to, have to. Listen to daddy whine about his problems. Right. Daddy's a bigger baby than we are. Yeah. Mm. The one thing that I wanted this, this the podcast to be, I, I remember what it's like feeling that there's no hope. Sitting and and feeling I'm broken, I'm fucked. There is no future for me. Now being on the other other side of it, knowing that that's just perception and that it's a it's a lie. If if I'm willing to do work uh, and connect to people, um, this podcast is a way of talking with somebody about the pain and the battles in their heads, and giving somebody out there who's listening to it either entertaining them with that conversation or giving them a little bit of hope that that they're not stuck for the rest of their lives if they're willing to get out of their comfort zone and mm. try and try something different so we may offer a hint here or there but mostly it's two people waiting to go into a psychiatrist's office that kind of a conversation sure. it's not the doctor's office it's kind of a waiting room that doesn't sure. suck suck is is what i hope for it to be and, I, and i've been getting some really touching emails from people that uh, say that it has um, given them the, the strength to uh, go see a psychiatrist and get help and to start reaching out to people and to talk to a cashier in line and compliment them. And all of a sudden, they're having a conversation and it's made their day. And that's as far as the, I guess, the advice that I that I give to people. Mostly, I think they just like hearing people that are as fucked up as they are and having a, a laugh here and there about it. And in terms of... Uh, and, and I have to say, sorry to cut you off, your, I don't think I would be doing that show if it weren't for your podcast. You, Your podcast showed me that people do want to hear the sad. They do want to hear anything as long as it's real and it's coming from, from the heart. So uh, at the risk of making your big ego even bigger uh i want to thank you for for doing what what you do because i i absolutely wouldn't be doing my show if it well if it wasn't for you oh well, you're welcome and i appreciate that that makes me feel good yeah it's not you know there's a lot of broken hearts out there man yeah <laughs> a lot and, of pain yeah i you know it because it's just uh but you some people don't diagnose it like that you know i mean we're all grown-ups and part of being grown up is learning how to you know to to sort of temper 
disappointment mm-hmm. and vulnerability and um, you know feelings of, of despair and sadness. But I mean, being brokenhearted, um, it's it's there's a very fine line between you know accepting life for what it is and and really experiencing a brokenheartedness. That mm-hmm. there's a you know if you don't overcome you know, a, a sort of child childlike entitlement. Mm-hmm. And, and and put it into perspective. I mean, you know, that type of broken heart, it doesn't, you know, it's hard to, to make that, you know, feel better. Yeah, because it's usually self-pity. And that's right. Self-pity is really hard to get somebody out of because they can't see they're in self-pity. They think they're owed better. But also the, you know, the self-pity, the the act of it, you know, protects them from just a, you know, uh, you know, a, you know, if you if you if you push that aside, who knows how you know if you're ever going to stop crying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you, I think you, you will. But of course you do. You know. Yeah, but but the risk of that. But some people are so chemically fucked up, so uh, depressed on the physical level that no amount of talking about something in and of itself is gonna is gonna make them better. They need, you know. I think there's kind of two facets to depression. I think yeah. there are, there's the, you know, the the part that we can help by connecting with other human beings, and then there's the part that some of us need physically to be on on meds. And you can say what you will about that. Some people don't believe in them, but I can tell you this: I've gone off them, and it was like walking off a fucking cliff. <laughs> and uh, I went right back on them because I, I I don't give a shit. How was that? How was that? The the feeling of flying. <laughs> Fuck, it was so, I, you know, I was glad that I actually had the the knowledge that there was a way back. Yeah. Because some people don't know. How, how do you know if you've never experienced normal? How do you know yeah, that what, what you're what, feeling is abnormal? What is normal, too? Yeah, but anxiety and that dread and the panic is horrendous. It's awful. I mean, like, anxiety and panic, like, at least with depression, you're like, I know what this is. Yeah. But with panic and anxiety, yeah. I mean, holy fuck. Mm-hmm. So, uh, speaking of that, where's uh, what are you what are you working on in, outside the podcast? I mean, well, you know, I know you're having a lot of career fear now because it's hard to to lose a gig, especially mm-hmm. one that paid some money. Yeah. Are you what are you hitting the pavement or what are you doing? No, I'm really just kind of focusing on the the podcast. You know, I've I've got a uh, pilot that I wrote for uh, the the Republican character, an animated mm-hmm. pilot that uh, I'm I'm trying to shop around. But you know, I I hate putting myself out there. I don't like meetings. I don't like calling my agent or my manager to talk about meetings. Yeah. Um. I'm I actually uh, fired my manager. That's always good to do. You know, fired him right before. I lost my show, so now when I probably need a manager, mm. um, but I, I don't know if I even need a manager. I, I don't know. I now I'm starting to get panicked and anxious. Keeping and, it interesting. Like I, I like that fine line you ride between you know practical uh, um, movements, yeah, and uh, self sabotage. It's really hard to to re- regulate, you know, or, or to even assess properly. It's okay to it's take a-, a step forward as long as you can promise yourself you'll take a step back. Or two. Yeah. <laughs> or two. But I, I really feel like um, the the podcast is um, where I'm meant to be uh, right now. And it just, it uh, it feels like I'm putting my whole, my whole soul into it. And um, 
It just feels right. The and Mental Health Happy Hour. Mental Illness Happy Hour. Yeah, the, the website is mentalpod.com. And it's not a comedy podcast. It's not limit, li- listed in comedy. It's listed in health, self-help, in, in iTunes, which kind of makes me cringe because it's not – I didn't know what else to list it in. Uh, I suppose you could have done it under in-depth interviews or something, but it doesn't – it's kind of its own its own thing. Well, but. no, it's a great form. It's a great medium, and there's total freedom to it. And it sounds like you're ready, and it sounds like it's it's a great thing to do. Yeah. So that's it. Now, do you still have the website for uh, Representative Paul Gilmartin? Uh, Representative Richard Martin. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, Ask. I'm a sorry, Re- pa- a- you're Paul Gilmartin. Yeah, that's right. It's askarepublican.com, and you can watch videos. And I got a, a pretty funny uh, fake campaign ad that I've had out there for a couple of years up there too. Back when I was making money, uh-huh. I got some good stock footage and put together a. I think a pretty funny campaign ad. Well, I think we're good. You think you feel good about this? Yeah. I I don't think we were too passive aggressive with each other, and you know I love you. No, thanks, buddy. I I love you too, and I, I appreciate you uh, having me on and and doing what you do, man. You're uh um again. I hope I'm not inflating that fucking ego, but you're uh, you're really a, a pioneer in this in this medium, and uh, I I feel proud to be your friend. Well, thank you, and and uh, and I feel proud to be yours, and that's not just doing that you know you've helped me out a lot and it's uh, great to talk to you thanks bud that's our show thank you for joining us i want to thank my guest paul gilmartin and also my uh, additional guest jeffrey tate and uh the wonderful ryan singer please go to wtfpod.com for all your wtf pod needs Get your JustCoffee.coop over there. If you get the WTF blend at JustCoffee.coop, which you can link to at WTFPod.com, I get a little kickback on that. Go a little, little ba- a little bit on the back end. You can also get your apps there. You can get on the mailing list there. You can, you know, you can go to. Uh, it'll link you to iTunes. Go to WTF Premium for any of those older episodes that you might have missed, and you're not an app person. I will be at the South Beach Comedy Festival tonight. 8 o'clock at the Colony Theater. Uh, still tickets available if you want to come down for that. Please come down for that. Okay, that's it. I'll talk to you guys later. Mm-hmm.